You're listening to Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols. Support for this project is provided by listeners like you. Visit my website at p3photographers.net for ideas on how you too can become a supporter of the project. Welcome to Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols, the podcast where we celebrate early women artisan photographers. I'm your host, Lee McIntyre. In today's episode, we meet a woman of many talents, the phenomenal Lydia J. Cadwell. For more information about any of the women discussed in today's episode, visit my website at p3photographers.net. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols as we kick off Season 6. Today, I want to introduce you to Lydia J. Cadwell, an extraordinary woman from the 1800s who rightfully could be called a type of Renaissance woman. Not only was she a successful photographer in Chicago in the 1870s, she was also an influential patron of the arts, a writer, a poet, and also an inventor, holding at least five patents for inventions that had nothing to do with art or photography. Her story intertwines not only with a U.S. president, but also with an American social reformer, orator, writer, abolitionist, and statesman who was one of the most photographed men in the mid-1800s, and who famously only had one photo taken by a woman, and that woman was Lydia J. Cadwell. I think I may have mentioned it before, but I always find it oddly exciting when I run across a really informative obituary about one of these women. I mean, so imagine how excited I was that I discovered that when Lydia J. Cadwell died in January of 1896, the Chicago Tribune published a full-column obituary about her, profiling her life and her accomplishments. As Chris and I started to piece together other bits of information from other records online and other contemporary news articles, well, it turned out that some of the details about her personal life in that obituary were a little bit more complicated than you might think from reading the obituary. But amazingly, all of the incredible accomplishments of Lydia Caldwell that are listed in her obituary are actually true, and there's even more to her accomplishments than the obituary lists. So, without further ado, let's just dive into the story of Lydia J. Cadwell, um, who was a woman who really packed a lot of living into her 59 years. Lydia J. Doughty was born on February 3rd, 1837. Now, she was the daughter of Henry Doughty, who was actually a descendant of the family of John Quincy Adams, one of our presidents. According to that 1896 obituary for Lydia, she had, until her death, a ring that she wore that had been presented to her by John Quincy Adams when she was a little girl. The story was that he'd received it from an Italian prince. I looked it up, and John Quincy Adams died in 1843, and Liddy was born in 1837, so it is possible that uh, John Quincy Adams met little Lydia and gave her that ring. And it is possible that she actually did wear it for the rest of her life. 
Unfortunately, there's no trace I could find online of any story about John Quincy Adams receiving a ring from an Italian prince, but it is there in the obituary, and it is a really good little story. But I want to leave little Lydia after she gets that ring and fast forward up until 1870. Lydia is at this point living in Grand Rapids, Michigan, um, with her teenage daughter, Ella. Now, I'm getting this information from the 1870 census, where Lydia is listed as a 31-year-old widow living with her 15-year-old daughter, as I said, Ella, and also their 17-year-old, quote, domestic servant, a woman named Betsy Blank. Lydia is listed in 1870 as keeping house. In other words, she doesn't have an outside occupation that's listed. And her age there is a little bit off. She should have been more like 34, not 31. But that really isn't that surprising because we run across a lot of people who seem to become miraculously a little bit younger in their census listings. Where I really want to pick up Lydia's story is a little bit later in the 1870s. By that point, she's living in Chicago and she's working as a photographer. Unfortunately, the Chicago directories that are available online have some gaps in that period of the early 1870s, so I can't pinpoint exactly when Lydia started her career in photography in Chicago. And Chris and I haven't really been able to figure out if she actually did any photography prior to going to Chicago in the early 1870s. But definitely, Lydia is working for a photographer in Chicago named Charles Gentile, and she's working at his studio, which is named the Gentile Studio. That's in Chicago, as I said, in the early 1870s. Later on in the 1870s, Lydia will actually become the co-owner of that studio with Mr. Gentile, and then she takes it over completely by 1878. But even before 1878, Lydia J. Cadwell has already built a reputation for the quality of her work. She's particularly sought after to have people, you know, who come to see her who want to have their portraits taken. That's the case in January of 1875. On January 5th, 1875, a rather famous man already, a man named Frederick Douglass, uh, who is that orator and statesman and abolitionist that I mentioned, well, he comes to Chicago, he's going to give a talk there, and According to his biographies, he detours over to the Gentile studio to have his photo taken by Mrs. Caldwell because he had heard of her reputation and her skill. There are three photos that were taken that day in the Gentile studio by Lydia Caldwell, and they are reproduced in biographies written in the last few years about Frederick Douglass. I'll put some links in the episode notes so you can find them. Now, the Gentile Studio was clearly very popular there in Chicago, not just because Mrs. Codwell's famous, but they have a lot of articles in the paper promoting stuff that they've got going on. In 1876, the year after Frederick Douglass was there, there's a big article in the Chicago Tribune that says that the Gentile Gallery had on display what was termed a massive 72-inch by 44-inch photo of the 1st Regiment, the 1st Regimental Soldiers. According to the article, it represented the breaking of the ranks after the last formal review of the soldiers um, in South Park in Chicago. Let me just read you a little bit of that story to get a sense of what this was all about. Again, this is uh, from an article in the Chicago Tribune on June 4th, 1876. So the description of the photo is as follows. This mammoth picture, which covers an area of 72 by 44 inches, 
is a photographic view of the 1st Regiment and represents the scene of the breaking of the ranks at the last review on the South Park. There are over 400 figures grouped in most lifelike postures. In the center foreground sits the officers, and it names all the generals. On either side and to the rear, almost as far as I can reach, are the men and non-commissioned officers of the regiment, picturesquely grouped, while stacks of arms and piles of drums and the two regimental flags, beautifully draped, relieve the scene in a very artistic manner. Each figure is a separate photograph, and no two have the same pose. These photographs have been graduated in size so as to thoroughly meet the laws of perspective, and all have been so mounted as to produce a perfectly harmonized whole. So in other words, this giant photograph is actually a giant composite of multiple photographs, at least 400, since there are more than 400 uh, people represented, all carefully placed so as to look like they were actually taken as a snapshot of people on the field, but in fact, it's actually composed. And according to the newspaper article, the person who composed that scene was actually Mrs. L.J. Cadwell, the cashier of the gallery. Now, it terms her the cashier of the gallery, but we know from the directories and from other articles that she actually was also a photographer at the gallery. So this is a very special photo that the Gentile Gallery really promotes as being something special and something that people should come see in their gallery. It's really kind of intriguing that she's doing this kind of composite work in addition to their other kinds of cabinet photos and that kind of thing, because we did see with Hannah Maynard, the woman who was in Victoria and British Columbia, who I profiled on a previous episode, well, she was doing composite photography, but actually a little bit later than the 1870s. Hannah Maynard was doing it, I believe, in the 1880s. So anyway, so Mrs. Cadwell is very, very popular and very well known as a really good photographer and artist in terms of creating this artistic composite scene of figures and drums, etc. Now, as I said, uh, at this point, Lydia is partnered with Gentile, but she eventually buys him out. And by 1877, we find her in the directories as the sole proprietor of the what's now termed Gentile and Company Photography Studio. And then in 1878, Lydia is not only running the Gentile Photographic Studio, but she's also opened an art gallery called the Lydian Art Gallery. The Lydian Art Gallery showcases artists from all different kinds of media. I mean, not just the photographers, but painters and sculptors, etc., she is organizing exhibitions by these artists and sponsoring their work. Uh, and these art exhibitions by Mrs. Cadwell become quite legendary there in Chicago. Really a high set event. Uh, she has very fancy advertising and invitations that get sent out to get invited to these exhibits and these parties. According to her obituary, again, at some of these parties, she would host a thousand people um, at one of these art openings. I'm not sure that I can verify the numbers of people who are at these openings, but I can verify in the newspaper articles that these were just the height of the art world there in Chicago in the 1870s. And by the early 1880s, that Gentile Art Photography Studio plus the Lydian Art Gallery, which are actually co-located in the same building, well, that is still going strong. I mean, Mrs. Cadwell is really well-known and influential in art circles in Chicago, and eventually, she's actually credited as being one of the founders of the Chicago Art Institute. 
So she's very powerful and very much a force within the art world in Chicago. But even though she's so involved with photography and art, that isn't her only area of involvement during this period. She gets involved with other creative endeavors, not just visual arts, but she also does a lot of writing, particularly poems. Two of her poems actually become quite famous. One is a tribute, as it's described, to a bouquet of flowers that she received when she was about to embark on a European tour. And then one of her other famous poems was actually one that was a tribute to a famous singer who loved that bouquet poem so much that she commissioned to have it set to music. And then Lydia Codwell, yes, thanks, writes another poem that's a tribute to that singer. So she's been writing poetry for a while. And there's also this other curious mention of her poetry. Now, if I take it back to uh, March of 1875, remember January of 1875 is when she photographs Frederick Douglass. But in March of that year, um, there's an article in the paper that she has been made an honorary member of the National Egg and Butter Association. Now, this was a time when the National Egg and Butter Association did not permit women to be members. So the fact that a woman has just been made an honorary member is actually quite a big deal. The following year, the coverage of that year's annual meeting says that Mrs. Cowdwell reads an original poem at the meeting called My Past and Present. And according to the little notice in the paper, her reading of her poem was met with quote, such rapturous applause that the lady was obliged to respond with a second original poem before she was allowed to return to her seat. All right, so she's clearly quite talented and well-regarded as a poet. This is at the same time she's well-regarded and uh, famous for her photography, and of course, it's just around the time when she's thinking of getting her art gallery going. Lydia Cadwell has a lot going on when it comes to creative endeavors. But if I go back to that 1875 article when she's made an honorary member of the Butter and Egg Society, well, I don't know why she was made that honorary member, but I can tell you that it was around that time she actually files an application for a patent on a process to desiccate or dehydrate eggs. Now, she actually was awarded that patent in the early 1880s. And it turns out that's just one of many patents that she received, not just in the U.S., but in Canada as well. All of her patents involve some sort of desiccating or dehydrating things. So eggs, slops, grain. I think Chris located uh, the five U.S. patents, and there are two more that we found in Canada, uh, which were from the period of the 1870s all the way up through the 1880s. One of those patents actually led to the creation of a wheat drying machine. And that was such a successful and popular machine that some rather unscrupulous people tried to steal the patent and the machine patent from her. But again, according to her obituary, it says that she was onto their tricks and she headed them off by getting a controlling stock in the company that made that machine. Good for her. Um, and Really, if that wasn't enough of uh, another sideline, at some point she becomes the owner of land in New Mexico that becomes famous because they find what's called ricolite marble. And this green ricolite marble continues to be sold and continues to be quite popular. But back you know, in the late 1800s, it was apparently very popular and very profitable. 
again, I, I want to emphasize that all of these things were in addition to her success in the art world, both with the photography and her art gallery. She was really quite a woman of many talents. I mean, so we have photographer, poet, inventor, art patron. I mean, there are very few women that we've run across, even a lot of the really talented women, but many of them, but there are very few that have all of these things combined. We find them all in Lydia J. Cadwell. Chris and I have been able to confirm, even though these things are mentioned in her obituary, we've been able to separately confirm all of these facts. So really quite striking. But you may have noticed that I haven't really talked much about her personal life, other than the fact that she was married at some point, obviously, and then in 1870, she's listed as widowed with a teenage daughter. Okay, so this is where it it gets a little bit tricky, because Lydia Doughty grows up in New York State, and at some point, she meets and marries a man named George W. Cadwell. All right, now, according to her 1896 obituary, tragedy struck right after the wedding, and she was left a widow at the age of 19, and then moved to Grand Rapids, Michigan, where she lived for several years um, after um, she became widowed. Again, this is according to the obituary. Um, she was born in 1837, so if she had been widowed around at the age of 19, that would mean that George Cadwell would have died around 1856. And that is a very tragic story. It's certainly very remarkable and compelling. The problem is it's not at all true because George doesn't die until 1885 and he's actually married at that time to his second wife. You see, Lydia files for a divorce for George in 1871. So she's not widowed at the age of 19. We, in fact, find them living together in Oneida, New York in the 1860 census along with their daughter, Ella, who's four. Now, as I mentioned earlier, in the 1870 census, Lydia is living in Grand Rapids with her daughter, Ella, uh, and George is no longer on the scene. And in fact, Lydia lists herself as a widow. But it turns out that when she says she's a widow, it's what um, Chris likes to call a widow, because, of course, she's actually not widowed. Now, George and... Lydia do get divorced, and she does file for a divorce um, in 1871. But Ella continues to live with Lydia until George remarries. And at that point, it seems like Ella goes to live with her father. After that 1870 census, when Ella is living with, uh, still living with Lydia, we don't actually find any other mention of Ella ever living with Lydia in Chicago. And in fact, in that obituary in 1896, there's no mention that Lydia has a daughter, even though Ella survives into the 20th century. So it's really kind of intriguing that at some point, whether it was when she became a photographer, maybe it was when Ella moved out, moved with with her father, that Lydia created a narrative for herself that was a little bit different from what reality was. And, you know, I can respect that she wanted to reinvent herself, but uh, it really is intriguing wanting to know, you know, what happened there and what was the story. I mean, Ella, unfortunately, is always described as an invalid. And so she needed a lot of care and always needed to have a companion. And when her father dies, so when George Cadwell dies in 1885, he actually is pretty prominent where he's living. And his estate is detailed in the press. 
And it turns out that he leaves his entire fortune to his daughter, not to his son from his second marriage. So interesting, intriguing, but that's a complete side story because we have digressed from Lydia. So what I really want to talk about, of course, is Lydia. And that's why it's really hard to piece together elements of her personal story. But her professional story and all of her accomplishments, what is fascinating is that that can be confirmed, that she was involved with all these different things and had such success in so many of them. All right, so when last we saw Lydia, she was operating the Lydian Gallery and the Gentilly Studio for Photography there in Chicago in 1882. Uh, she just gotten at least one patent and life is going well. And that is when tragedy does strike that is confirmed separately from the obituary um, because on December 28th, 1882, on a day that was described as a cold winter day with ice on the sidewalks, Lydia J. Codwell slips and falls and hits her head. According to newspaper articles that are written in her lifetime, she is gravely injured by that fall, and she's left with what is usually described in the papers as, quote, an abscess on the brain. She loses her hearing, and it's said because of that, she actually gives up her art. She gives up her studio. She sells the studio and the gallery. Now, that's 1883 or 1884, around that time. And according to the obituary, it's then that she turns to the scientific inventions. But, in fact, the dates on her patents and that egg machine definitely indicate that she was already doing that prior to her fall in 1882. So, you know, she really was a woman who could coordinate many different interests and do them all until the fall. And then, you know, she withdraws from the art world. But she has a lot of success and makes money, apparently, with those patents and the inventions, that wheat drying machine, the marble company, etc. But apparently the, the fall really did leave her um, injured severely. And she never fully recovers from those injuries. I mean, her health is never the same. And so... In January of 1896, unfortunately, she passes away, and they blame that fall and the injuries she suffered in 1882 for causing her death in 1896. She was only 59 years old, and she left quite a large estate, but she died intestate. So there are actually um, articles in the paper about what they're trying to do to shore up that estate and who is applying to become executors, etc., um, there were no bequests to any family members, and as I said, her daughter is never mentioned in any of the articles. So, really kind of a, a tragic end uh, in terms of that fall and how she gave up the photography and the art, or at least the art gallery, but because she continued to be a popular figure and involved in the art world, at least on the sidelines, she is really celebrated in Chicago up until 1896 when she dies. I mean, her death, as I said, it's this large, obituary, big headline, the fact that she's died, and it was a result of that fall. So I was really curious to try to figure out exactly what was going on with Lydia J. Codwell. How did she become a photographer? How did she become an inventor? How did she become interested in inventing a machine to dehydrate eggs? I really would love to know a lot more about her story, and maybe someday we'll run across some more information about her. But uh, for the moment, I think I just want to celebrate this woman that we ran across by buying a cabinet card, having the Gentili Studio, Lydian Art Gallery, and the name of the photographer who ran both of those things 
uh, the fabulous woman named Lydia J. Cadwell. There are lots of different kinds of materials to share with you about Lydia J. Cadwell, and you'll find links and other photos, etc., on the website, as usual, which is at p3photographers.net. Remember, that's letter P, number three, photographers.net. If you have any questions or just want to drop me a line, write to podcast at p3photographers.net. And remember, you can also contact me through the Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols Facebook page at facebook.com slash p3photographers. really want to thank everyone who contacted me over the last couple of months with questions and suggestions really kind of intriguing the paths that have been opened up to women to explore and uh, we, uh, addressing some of your questions and having some more information about some of the women who were sent to me uh, over the next few months uh, here on the podcast. I thought Lydia J. Cadwell would be a great woman to kick off season six. I'm going to be profiling various women who were in Chicago and New York and some who were in both Chicago and New York, and then also over on the West Coast. So I'm covering a lot of different women over the next few months. As always, all talented early women photographers, artisan photographers, all. Also, one final note, my husband, Chris, who as listeners of the podcast know, is working with me on this project. Um, He's actually started his own blog where he sometimes talks about some of these early women photographers. The blog address is blog.chrisculey.net. That's blog, B-L-O-G, period, C-H-R-I-S-C-U-L-Y.net. At the moment, he's in the middle of a five-part series that describes the kind of deep dive that he and I do when we're trying to find information about women like Lydia Caldwell, how we look at newspapers and Ancestry.com and all kinds of materials. He has a a fun way of explaining all the different twists and turns one of our deep dives can take. So I really encourage you to check it out. That's it for today. Thanks, as always, for stopping by. Until next time, I'm Lee, and this is Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols. (laughs) 